Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope, and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. Okay, so uh, Luke chapter 10. Now we've been, this is the end of the series. We're going through a series called Tired. Um, and the reason we're going through a series called Tired, and I'm not joking here, is because I'm tired. And so when you deal with certain things in your life, you want to look into the Word of God and say, what do you have to teach me? And so since I was looking in the Word of God to look for myself and for my family, and I was learning all this, I said, well, let's take everybody else for this because I know you're just as tired. And I'm not just talking physically tired. We're talking especially emotionally and spiritually and mentally, and it's, it's wrapped up in who you are. It's all about, it's all of us, right? And all, every piece of you. And we have already looked at a few things. Uh, we've looked at busyness and how that creates tiredness. We talked about how if your priorities get out of whack and you start taking on things that the Lord hasn't given you to do, then that will cause tiredness. Um, and this morning, to finish it off, we're going to talk about the temptation to control. Because when you try to control, that will also make you tired. Again, I have to emphasize this. This is so important. When we share from the word, we want you to approach it saying, Lord, what do you have to teach me? So as you're taking notes, don't go, oh, this is going to be great. So I can tell my spouse or my friend or my dad or my kids, yeah, don't do this because you're doing this. See, I, I, we talked about not controlling and you're very controlling. That's not what we're doing here, right? You're going to take this on for yourself to say, Lord, what do you have to say to me? So let me pray for us and I can pray for you, but I want you to pray, Lord, what do you have to say to me? So, Father, even though I'm the one speaking today, I want to hear from you. And Father, let this be um, a place, a space for all of us to surrender to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, we don't talk about Satan too often. We probably should. Uh, if you don't know, there is a being called Satan, and he wants the worst for you. Um, we talked about this uh, in John 10.10. 10. Uh, the thief, which is referring to Satan, he comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says this. Jesus says, I have come that they, us, may have life and have it to the full. As we talked this morning about control... You need to understand that Satan would love more than anything for you to take control. It has been his plan from the beginning, and it shows itself in so many different ways. And we're going to look at that in Scripture. But this isn't a new plan. When you try to control, it has negative effects. And Satan knows that. But we have this hunger to control. And he plays on it. He tempts us with what we think we need. He's smart, right? If you want to tempt someone, you don't tempt them with something they don't care about. You tempt them with something that they think may give them what they want. And so this is a very familiar passage to you in Genesis chapter 3. Um, you've got Adam. You've got Eve. They fall. But how did they fall? Because he called them to do something that God did not call them to do. And they, he tempted them with control. Did he really tell you not to have that fruit? Did he really say that? Well, he said this. And this is Satan's response to Eve's response back. He said, 
God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Come on, Eve, Adam, take charge. If you do this, you will be in control just like God. Doesn't that feel good to like be in control? Doesn't that feel good to have things the way you want them to be? Now, I am a recovering control freak. I haven't gotten rid of it and I'm in recovery. And so I know this one very well. Um, The thing about trying to control is that it's impossible. You're not God. You can't control, and yet we try to do it. But why? Why do we want to control? Why do we want to control what others say? Why do we want to control what others do? Why do we want to control what others think? Why do we want to control what others think about us? You think about natural disasters. I have this whole list here of things that I wanted to kind of remind me of things. Um, Why do we want to control who's in my family? Why do we try to control dying? In fact, we know we can't control that one, so let's just not think about it, because if I think about it, that's one I just can't even comprehend how I could possibly step in. Cats. Can't control cats. Balding. You can't control famine. You can't control the past. Why? But why? Why? Because we try to control things Because we think, if I don't control it, what if this happens? But if I step in and control this, then maybe this bad thing won't happen if I'm in control. We have this fear, and that's where control comes from. We have this fear that if I don't step in, this is going to happen. And that would be worse. Because I know, because I'm all-knowing, that that would be worse. So I better step in and control this. Control is also a result of being attached to a specific outcome. You know what I'm talking about? We've got to have this. You need to have this either because it's for pleasure or because it's because for safety or it's for someone else because you love them and they have to have this. And the energy of surrender, it's so much better than the energy of control. Now, I know we're having a little bit of fun with this control thing, but I want to show you some ways that you could try to be in control and how it just doesn't work. Um... My son is at the uh, work in the Hobie sale, and he has his own little money, and so you know he gets to see all the stuff they have, and so it's his own money. So he's in control of his own money. We want to teach him how to live without us, and so he picks out this hat. And I looked at that hat, and I was thinking this to myself. I'm like, really? That's the hat you got? And so I don't want to say that because I'm learning. I'm a recovering control freak, and I said, so you like that hat? He goes, yeah. Do you not like it? And I felt like such a healthy person. I said, listen, son. No, I don't. But it's not my hat. And let's face it. Do you really want to dress like your dad? Think about that for a second. When I said, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so smart. I can't stand the way my dad looks. So here I am wanting to be in control of what he wears because I don't like this hat. I think he'd be a lot cooler if he got this hat or if he got this shirt or whatever. But do you really want him to look like me? Like, I remember looking at my dad going, are you serious? Seriously. And I look at some people, and I just go, really, are you wearing that? And they think the same. I don't want my kid to look like me. But it is exhausting for me to try to control him. And trust me, I've worked very hard at that over his brief amount of years. 
but it's exhausting because you really can't control someone else. You can attempt, you can push them, you can really annoy them, and you might get them to do things, but you really can't control them. And you weren't meant to. Control is... You're fighting against something that you will not beat. God is in control, we are not. And when we try to usurp that throne and we try to be in control, we are in an arena that we are not prepared and qualified and trained to be in. Um, I thought about it this morning as I was driving here. It's appropriate, it's Topher's birthday because this was his fault. But it was a few years ago and I'd never done stand-up paddling before. Um, and people kept trying to talk me into it and I did it in the ocean a couple times and I got absolutely worked. And I'm like, this is stupid, this is dumb, I hate this sport, it's dumb, I can't believe you guys do this because I was bad at it, right? And so they invited me to come and hang out with him, him and Brad and paddle around the harbor. And I'm like, I can handle that, flat water. I show up in here, no one is in the parking lot, it's during the week. There's no one in the parking lot because as soon as I open the door, the wind is so unbelievably strong that literally the papers and trash in my car blew out of the door. And it was only one door was open. It went woof and went right out the door because it was so windy. And I'm thinking, whew, well, I'm glad we're not going to paddle today. And then they get there and like, of course we're doing this. And I was like, well, they must know what they're doing. They didn't. So <laughs> we go, the wind is blowing this way through the harbor. So you've, there you got it right there. See, this is perfect because it happened right there. So that way, I was the man. We were flying. Yeah, yeah, we're cooking. And then we made it around the corner, and we're coming up against the wind. And, of course, I want to be stronger than them. I want to be more impressive to them. And so they're in front of me, but, of course, I'm going to catch up. And so I'm digging. I mean, I'm really digging. And so we come up to these boats, and so the boats are right there. And I'm right next to this boat, and I look over at them, and they're just sitting in their back. Hey, how you doing? I'm paddling, I'm digging, and I'm digging. And I'm really digging to the point where I'm like getting kind of exhausted, where I think I might have to stop. And so I'm looking for a place to stop. So I look over to my left. They're still there. I'm not making this up. I was paddling for five minutes, and I thought I was moving forward. But the wind was so strong, and I was so focused because Topher and Brad were there. And I thought I was keeping track with them, and I was because they weren't moving either. So we're sitting here like this, and I thought I was making up ground. And I looked, and they're still there. That's what it's like trying to be in control of something you can't be in control of. I had to drop down and paddle and I had to paddle across here and I'm holding on to the dock and I'm pulling the dock because it's like I've never experienced anything like this before. It was ridiculous. But that's why I was tired. Literally, I was like, I can't do this any longer. And I looked at and I started blaming like, seriously, Toph, really? Like, why are we doing this? He's like, yeah, this is a bad idea, man. <laughs> this was gnarly. That was their first introduction. I actually went again later, but not too much, and never again with Topher and Brad. <laughs> but I, I bring that whole story up to talk to you about, I want you to compare that with trying to control the environments around you. So, Jesus, and this is, this is what I get really excited about. Jesus... Well, let's just look at it. Matthew chapter 4. Open up to Matthew chapter 4. Because Satan, he tries to tempt Jesus as well with this exact same temptation to control. Now, think about this. Jesus is fully God. He has the ability to do this. 
He can do whatever, and he has, he has the divinity to do it. But he chooses not to. Okay, so here we are. Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. So Jesus led out into the desert by the Holy Spirit. So this is God's plan, to bring him out into the desert. So Jesus is in the desert, and the tempter, Satan, comes to him and says, If you are the Son of God, Command these stones to become loaves of bread. He's fasted for 40 days. He's hungry. This is a, a very reasonable thing that Satan would say. I mean, think about it. If I'm sitting there with Jesus, and I'm not even trying to tempt him, I'm like, if you're hungry, seriously, Jesus, like, you can do this. We've, you, you can turn anything into anything. Like, you're God. Just do it. And this is very reasonable. I like what Henry Nouwen says about this. He says, this is, we have the temptation to be relevant. Think about the poverty and the things that you see around you. Think about the things, for those of you that have been to Cambodia, or for those of you who have been to El Salvador, or for those of you who are going to be going to Mexico, you're going to see things that break your heart. And then you're going to, well, I've got to fix this. And you're going to want to go and fix it. And you, and you, you come in and you want to control it. You want to change it. Now, true in you, you also want to love them and care for them. But then you help one person and you look around and you're like, but there's more. I got to do it all. And you start to get this sense of like, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And then you start realizing, I can't do this. And it's like you're paddling against the wind. And yet Jesus can do this. He has the ability. And yet this is how he responds. His response to being relevant he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He responds with scripture. He knows who he is and he knows the decision. He knows his calling and it is to be fully man during this time. He is taking on our humanity because Satan wants to make the incarnation. Incarnation means to become in the flesh. And when we talk about Jesus becoming man, that is a huge deal. And if Jesus decides to break this, then Satan has, he's made the incarnation empty. But Jesus can fully relate with everything you go through because he decides not to do this. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He who has all control willingly gives up control. And then he's tempted again. Then the devil took him to the holy city. This is Jerusalem. I don't know how he did this. I don't know if it was in a vision or if he literally took him there. And he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. Now this is, uh, it, it's, it's 10 stories high. So at the very top, it's a 10 story high drop. If you are the son of God, see how he's questioning him? Hey, if you really are the son of God, like question his value. Do you know what that's like? Well, if you're good enough, if you really are, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Satan is saying, look, you know, the scripture even says this. That if you were to jump off, that the angels would come and they would keep you from falling. And not only that, but look, this is the temple. It's packed. There's, this is like downtown Jerusalem. This is like, this is like the gas lamp of San Diego. You know what I mean? This is like, 
This is where it all goes down. So everybody's there. They would all see it. They would all see this man go, oh, and do the swan dive. And then just all of a sudden, angels would come and set him down. That would be spectacular. How many of you are tempted to do something spectacular so that everybody can see it? He can do it. That's the crazy thing is that he can do this. And yet he says this. Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He willingly gives up control. What only he would have, he gives it up. And then the final temptation. The devil took him to a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And Satan has the ability to do this. To show him all of the people who he loves and cares for. And he so badly wants to. Well, this is me speaking. See, I'm, I'm already using the words that I would use if I was Jesus. To sway and persuade them to trust me. Because I truly care for them. Just follow me. And saying, saying, look, I'll let them all follow you if you will worship me. And Jesus' response is. This is his response to being given this power. Jesus says, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God. And him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Jesus had every right to take control, and he willingly gave it up. If Satan comes in with this temptation to control, and he does it with us as well, because it's an, I could go on and on with this, but Satan is always there to try to tempt us to take control. When Jesus was at the Garden of Gethsemane, and he knew he was going to the cross, he said straight up to his Father in heaven, look, I don't want to do this. Take this cup from me. But then he says this, This is Jesus' response to the temptation to control. And this needs to be our response. This is what Jesus says. But not my will be done, but yours. There's so many things that we do to try to grab control. And it feels so good for a moment. Because it gives us that sense of being in control. Not that we really are. I was, I was just talking to my buddy Josh, and I'm like, I need to borrow your, your uh, what's that thing called? It sprays concrete, and it power washer. There you go. You know what? When I do things like that, it's like, we called it therapeutic, because it feels like I'm actually doing something. I'm doing something that's going to change something else. It's like I'm in control of the moss and the algae and the dirt. It's like, it just feels so good. When, when my house is clean, I like to just sit in it because everything's put and organized where it needs to be. It's that sense of, ah, it's in control. When the end of the month comes and we actually have actually paid all of our bills and there's still a little bit left, it's that I win. <laughs> I just won because I feel like I'm in control. But then you know what happens Then the calendar changes and we've got the next month and then the paycheck comes and then the bills come and it's that, ah, 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 because I know that I just can't seem to get this down because I feel out of control. 
But from a bigger sense, this idea of being tired and exhausted, we've got to understand who we really are and understand that Satan is constantly trying to tempt you to take God's place and be in control in your own life and in the lives of others. And we may do it because we care for people. But we have to understand that that's all we can do is take his yoke upon us. You have memorized that verse, right? I'm sure you have, right? The whole month we've talked about it. You got it. In fact, let's just do it all together, right? This is something that you can do to have this verse memorized in your head. Okay? If you could put it up on the screen because I don't think everybody has it memorized. Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Yeah? Take my yoke upon you, which is saying, look, let's work together on this. You follow me. Okay? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And when you step outside of that and try to control things that God has not given you permission to control, you are going to be exhausted. But if you take the fitting, the fitting yoke that God has placed on our life, what he expects from us, instead of putting on stuff on that he does not expect from you, and if you actually let go, then you will know what it is to have rest for your soul. Some of you have raised the bar so high in your life, but I have to, I should, I need to. And you're exhausted because you can maybe hold it for a little bit and then you like drop back down. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to promote complete mediocrity. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about trying to be perfect. We're trying to talk about thinking that you have all the right answers and you always know the right things that your family should be doing or that your neighbor should be doing or that Obama should be doing because you know all. God is the one that has that. And here's the crazy thing. Even for himself when he could, I want us to look at this in Philippians chapter 2. This is what Paul says about Jesus. And this is what I want us to close with. For us. Well, so what do we do with this? How do we deal with not having, like, how do I let go of control? How do I do this? Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. With Satan, he had the ability to grasp it. And Satan was tempting him to use it. We don't. But Jesus did, and yet... What did he do? Verse 7. He emptied himself. Taking the form of a bondservant. And being made in the likeness of men. He became like us. He didn't try to do the impossible. He didn't try to jump off of the pinnacle. He didn't try to be in control of everybody. He took on the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And this was the passage I wanted us to focus on here in Isaiah chapter 30. This will be the last thing I say. If you could put Isaiah thirty fifteen up there. Because I remember reading this um, a long time ago, and I remember studying it, and it was 
really cool back then, but it wasn't something I took on. It wasn't something I understood. It wasn't something I've been trying to do with my life. But right now, at this very moment, this is what I'm trying to do. To give you some background to understand this passage, uh, the people of Judah are frightened of Assyria because they've seen Assyria take on other countries and they know they're next. And so they're frightened and they're afraid. And so what do you do when you're frightened and afraid? You try to take control. And so they call up the Egyptians, who really aren't very powerful, but they have a big name, they have a good brand. So they call them up like, hey, you know, I'll work some stuff out. We're going to send some stuff to you. We're going to give you some horses, give you this, give you that, give you this. And then maybe could you partner with us? Yeah, let's, let's be buddies now. Why? Because it's alliance so they can get protection because they're afraid and they're afraid of the outcome. And yet God has already told them, don't do anything. I will take care of you. Yeah, I know you said that, but if you don't, then this is what's going to happen. So we're going to take things into our own hands. And so they start doing this and Isaiah steps in as only rude prophets can do. And he starts berating them and saying, look, you're not trusting God. This is what you should do. And this is what he says. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. In repentance, we've talked about what repentance means. It means to turn to God. Especially in Hebrew, that emphasis there in repentance means not feel sorry, not go, oh, I blew it. No, repentance means turning to God is your salvation. And rest. Now this is the word I want you to focus on. Rest. In Psalm 46.10, it's the same type of word. Um, Be still and know that I am God. Which means, take your weapon. What you, you're at war, you're ready to go at it. Put it down. It means to retire. It means to withdraw. So what he's saying here is turn to God. And put down your tools, which means basically take your paddle, put it down and let the current take you. But, but if I go down, maybe I'll never get back. How am I ever going to get home? Those thoughts crossed my mind. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I was like, when's this wind going to ever stop? And like, how, what if I get through? What, what? It crosses you for a mind and you think, I'll just hold on to a boat and just sit here till it passes. But think about the situations in your life. But if I let go, what could happen? Do you truly trust that God is in control? If he wants you to do something and you're falling, he'll let you know. He'll spur you. But in repentance and in rest, for those that are doing what God does not want them to do, he's saying, look, you need to turn back to God. You need to put down your plan that you have. Put down that plan and trust me. In quietness and trust is your real strength. So if you didn't read and study, well, you've read it, but if you didn't memorize Matthew 11, memorize this one. Do not fall prey to the evil one's temptations that he's used for centuries. Don't try to take control. That's reserved for the Lord. Let me pray for us. I'm going to invite the uh, worship team up. They've chosen a song um, that we've done quite a bit, but for a good reason. So if you could stand with me, please. Father, we, um, we surrender to you. In the name of Jesus, we surrender to you. Teach us. Teach us the areas that we're trying to take control of. We know there's areas, Lord, that you call us to, 
areas that you want us to be uh, proactive in. But Lord, we also understand that we are so easily fall prey to the temptation to be in control. Lord, more than anything, we want to be in your current. We want to go where you lead us. And we confess that we know that you're going to lead us to places that scare us to death. Build in us trust. Build in us quietness. Give us strength. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.